the microbial secret society where david and i dive deep into the microbial realm and initiate you into the microbial secret society so enjoy our podcast the first hour is always free and the second hour is only available to members at microbialsecret.org so thank you and uh, let's begin splice it in kind of having massive deja vu actually when i said that Okay, three, two, one, and we're live with the Microbial Secret Society podcast. We're live on another episode of the Microbial Secret Society. Aloha. So, so today we have a special guest, uh, Adam Dole, and uh, he's been a good friend of mine for at least a few years now and uh, been growing together, getting to know each other through the internet, and now here in real life and we're we're sitting down in beautiful Hilo uh, under a nice big banyan tree and some great microorganisms and gonna connect with him so uh, yeah uh, Adam why don't you introduce yourself a little bit hello aloha Um, yeah just moved to Hilo after I came here to take Drake's class last winter Sort of got a sense for Hilo and Big Island then. Um, Felt like it was a really good spot to... I don't have one. Sorry, man. So a homeless guy is coming up to us right now, and looks like he's trying to clean up some rubbish, and uh, he he wants to talk story a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's trying to do good deeds and find the right things in space and help people out. Adam's trying to help him out. What a great guy. Yeah, um, living downtown Hilo, it's kind of a mixed, you know, it's a it's a mixed scene here. I would say, you know. Um, here we are in the middle of paradise in a sort of somewhat urban environment and um, there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, here we are on like living on a volcano in the biggest town on this volcano and uh, it's got its challenges for a lot of people and there's decent sized homeless population here. Um, hopefully we'll get into some topics today. Like I, I definitely had some thoughts about that now living in Hawaii versus just visiting last winter. Um, yeah, it sort of seems to come up anywhere you live in, in any sort of semi-urban or urban environment. It seems to be uh, an issue of people having a place to live and having the things they need in life. <laughs> Hilo is no different. Um, but yeah, no, I ended up uh, getting really excited about the KNF scene and the, the microbe scene and the farming scene of Hawaii and Hilo area. And so I decided to come back here. I've been here about two and a half months. Um, 
thinking about taking on farming projects, thinking about maybe doing some school, thinking about doing some more learning and working in the, are we calling it KNF still? Community, uh, the natural farming. I'm just going to call it natural farming. Does that seem cool? The natural farming community uh, on Big Island. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk with you guys in the listenership about uh, what I'm up to and what's going on here, the way I see it anyway. Thanks, Adam, for joining us today. And it sounds like you uh, just recently kind of came back to the Big Island and you've been observing a lot of different diversity here in Hilo um, and kind of addressing the need that people need homes and microorganisms need homes. And uh, I don't know, may- maybe I was kind of comes up as being able to draw a parallel between um, homelessness and microorganisms. For sure. Um, I was big on biochar for a while, and um, I'm assuming your listenership knows what that is generally. And one of the main advantages that people would always say that biochar provides in soil was sort of habitat and protection for microbes. And uh, so maybe uh, when I think about a worldview of soil, I think about providing habitat and protection for microbes and maybe when I think about a worldview for people I think about providing habitat and protection for human being sized microbes too so yeah definitely parallels there I would say um yeah no I I just feel like I mean we could grow so much here we could grow enough food for a lot of people here and it's always uncomfortable for me to be in a place where I see that there's the uh opportunity for so much abundance and people living in pretty dire situations without their basic needs met so being in hawaii it definitely is kind of evident to me that you know we could definitely be doing things to provide for our needs really easily really locally and you know creating a good environment for everybody around us and uh that's my part. That's a big part of my goal in natural farming, you know? So, yeah. Kind of cool. That, well, kind of interesting that that brother just showed up right as we started the podcast and kind of set us on a, on a course for the initial discussion. Yeah, so speaking, speaking of biochar, it's, it's one of the crucial components that we used when we initially planted the triangle in downtown Hilo. So if you're familiar with Hilo Town, it's kind of iconic. It's right across pineapples. You'll, you'll know where that is if you're in Hilo. And um, now it's like a beautiful flower garden that's kind of ornamental and just popping off. But at one point in time, that was just roundup and just like a moss island, uh, you know, and it's not that large. Um, and we used biochar into the soil to do this remediation work along with the microorganisms, along with coconut mulch, along with, I lived in Hilo, so I would go down and spray the, the liquid amendments as well, mm. like plant juice and, and vinegar and all that. Nice, yeah, that triangle is, uh, it's really well known. It just looks really awesome. Whenever, look, 
maybe we, I should backtrack just a little bit. So at the Hawaii Farmers Union meeting for East Hawaii about a week ago, um, was my first time going. Um, I ended up um, volunteering and having it, you know, not sort of nominated, sort of volunteered and had it seconded to um, take on the Let's Grow Hilo project, at least to the for the next step. And Let's Grow Hilo has, uh, let me, my opinion, my observation, you know, being some, quite new to Hilo, is that they would grow food and plants, decorative plants, pollinator plants, um, just beautify Hilo by growing plants in unused public spaces that were basically being round up and just, you know, dealt with in an un unhealthy and unattractive way. So grow food, Hilo, uh, Let's Grow Hilo was taking over those spaces and growing plants and beautifying the city and trying to grow food. Um, so we're trying to resurrect that project. And so this triangle that we're talking about is right across from, you know, a popular restaurant in town. It's, you know, arguably the most beautiful site, you know, in town. It's lush. Everyone knows it. Everyone, you know, everyone loves it. Um, so I think the vision is to try and make all the common spaces downtown like that. Hilo is an awesome town. There's a lot going on, a lot of cool people. Um, you know, there is the homeless situation, you know, there's, there's goods and bads, but generally it's an awesome town. And if we take over those public spaces, start to make them beautiful, we can make Hilo, which is already an awesome and beautiful place, more beautiful. The more we can do that, the more I think Hilo will get better and better. And so, um, yeah, so I don't know, um, if it makes exact sense, you know, where we start talking about the human situation and the plant situation, the soil situation in town. But I think as the plant and soil situation gets better, the human situation gets better and vice versa. So I think it's all part of the same thing. And Hilo is a good habitat. And I think the better we continue to make it, the better it will be for all the citizens of all kinds that live here. So, so the Let's Grow Hilo project, which Drake, you... Uh initiated a while back um is kind of like an iconic spot where um transform and remediated land that was kind of toxic toxic and turned it into food production and and now what you're saying is you're trying to kind of reinvigorate it and bring it back to life and kind of allow more spots of Hilo to kind of transform and, and grow and drawing the parallel of if we're able to kind of restore the land around us, um, then, and, and if there's food growing, that's going to lead to nourishing of more people. Um, and may, maybe that can help take a step in a positive direction with the, the homelessness problem in, in Hilo. But, uh, y yeah, I, I think it's kind of, it's just interesting because I, I just don't know if, if growing food is like for everyone, you know, and to kind of say that it's easy. Like, I, I think natural farming, like the solutions when you break them down are easy, but I just think there's like this, like, it's almost like this grit or something that is this quality or characteristic that. I perceive farmers to have or need in order to like hustle, 
and, and kind of keep going. And it's not just farming, you know, it's not just the physical work on the land, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's just sitting down and like, you know, there's a financial aspect to it. There's, there's planning, there's strategy, there's marketing, there's all these different things that, you know, kind of, I don't know. I, I think in today's society, the farmer is just like, a like, I don't know, a modern renaissance in a sense of, of, of having to kind of take on and, and, um, yeah, apply new skills and things. And I know Drake's always tinkering with different things and, and any updates on the, the sugar cane juicer in that process? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, the farmer got to be dynamic. I mean, now I'm, now I'm getting into sugar cane juice. I, I recently bought a, a pre, uh, well, I got a press from a friend, and then I bought a, um electric motor mm-hmm. off of Amazon. And I just kind of like guessed that which what I needed, and I got a third horsepower motor. And then I wired my own switch and built my own like whip so I can plug it in. And um, now I have a, a sugarcane press, which, you know, I, I, I see sugar as one of the key cornerstones to Korean natural farming and being the, you know, it's, it's all built on this, this sweet paradigm of, you know, recycling our plant material, but then also using the sugar as, you know, to extract and to preserve. So, uh, you know, as a dynamic farmer trying to fit into where our... I see the future of farming going, at least on a small scale. I see this project as um, one that I can uh, sell the sugarcane juice today and then scale up to where I eventually am producing sugar. So I, I, that's, that's one of the main keys is having a market. Uh, how's it working? Um, when I came and visited your farm last year, uh think we did it by hand a bit right i think before you had the motor hooked up to your juicer um we were I think we had a three-person team to uh, run the juicer uh manually right right and so now now i have that switch and i i got another press so it's actually on my porch and now you know when i was looking at it the other day i was like wow this is one of the crucial keys to my um operation my whole operation because right around my house, all my gardens, they need mulch and they need like tender stuff and upkeep that's really, you know, I'm trying to grow more precious things close to the house, my like zone one gardens. Mm. And now with the sugarcane press, now I'm getting all this bagasse coming out. Um, and that that now is my mulch. So it's, it's crucial for the system. Nice. Really good mulch. Works really well. Um, you have your market already Are you, you're, you're marketing your juice yeah uh, to sell sugarcane juice I, I can move it quite easily um, yeah I, I right now I've been selling just small amounts to, to folks but um, but yeah I, I'm just not at scale yet I'm really kind of in the plant out phase nice yeah so Back east, where I'm from, um, prior to coming to Hawaii, I was growing cut flowers commercially. Um, my sister was a flower designer, so I was 
basically providing the raw material for her to do high-value weddings. So that's basically how I was able to make farming pan out, going from the cost of seed and, um, you know, uh, the work to put flowers in the ground all the way up to very high-value finished wedding design, you know, sort of, so low-cost, high final retail value um, was the way that we were actually um, making farming um, profitable. So yeah, it's nice to have a high value market and um, to be able to keep your costs as low as possible to make your margin as high as possible. So that was a pretty good niche to be in. Uh, Greater Boston, Massachusetts, I'd say is probably in the top five wealthiest you know areas of the country so you know we could charge a good amount for wedding design and uh you know i have 23 years of organic farming experience so uh, i didn't have to hire a heck of a lot of labor which was nice you know we were doing about two acres and i could do that myself um i had a couple part-time helpers so um yeah my vision was to convert the whole farm over to knf um probably make it no pretty sure I could have made it no-till and turn it back over to my sister because um, when she was trying to do the tillage with like a BCS style walk behind tiller and stuff she was inevitably like hurting her shoulders and things so the idea was to turn it into a no-till KNF flower farm um, which I think would have even reduced costs and labor costs even further to increase the margin of that business but maybe I didn't do a good enough job of explaining it or maybe I don't know. Maybe KNF is just hard to understand for people who aren't like really connected to the soil or something. But um, we ended up parting ways, at least for now, <laughs> on the family farming endeavor. Uh, she didn't exactly get on board with my vision for the farm, and uh, we uh, we're having a split right now. And uh, I don't really have any plans to go back to flower farming right now. Uh, so I am aware of um, you know farming for money and the need to uh, be frugal and to have markets and to be dynamic and to you know do what you have to do to make money at farming um, grow food uh, I keep calling it grow food Hilo sorry let's grow Hilo um, I'm thinking of as you know like let's make the environment of Hilo a much nicer place to be by having plants around um, whether or not like food is grown in the downtown area like I'm not even sure if I'm committed to that idea I would like to just sort of beautify the spaces maybe with pollinator plants and decorative plants or just plants that are native to the area just to make Hilo not so much look like a strip mall and look more like Hawaii um, and if we can start to do that and start to remediate the soils and get plants growing and get a good reputation going for Let's Grow Hilo, um, then maybe we can start to think about some ideas. Like, I'm not from here, so I'm hoping to get a lot of help from people from the area that might know about a little quarter acre here or a quarter acre there, an eighth of an acre somewhere here and there. And to get back to the homelessness thing, like, I don't think we're going to convert homeless people to full-time farmers, but... I know that in farming, sometimes it's nice to just have part-time day labor. And if you could provide someone who's got nothing, who's spare changing downtown, be like, hey, can you come help me tomorrow for 30 bucks? I need you for three hours. Like, 
30 bucks to a guy or a girl who's like got nothing and it's like always spare changing and stuff but you're not expecting too much of them <laughs> you're just asking them to come for three hours and help you out that's a good step in the right direction for them i feel like you know like as a farmer sometimes i think you need to know how to just plug people into a small role do this one thing and if you're able to sort of like hook somebody up with some pocket cash that doesn't have any at all that's like a pretty good role for a farmer to have i feel like in the community to kind of like give somebody you know pocket money um, you know and like working on a positive project like that can kind of be like a shot in the arm for somebody you know just to be like oh cool i'm contributing to my community um you know i've got a little bit of money in my pocket hey that natural farmer guy was pretty cool i'll definitely you know help him out again or say good things about him and you know that, that grow food <laughs> keep calling it grow food helo sorry <laughs> let's grow helo project is cool you know so i don't know that's i'm going on and on but that's kind of like my vibe on the um on the incorporating the homeless into the project yeah it's definitely an altruistic view that you have about being able to yeah give the the people an opportunity to earn earn some sort of income and learn something that might benefit themselves i really think it's like a it's like a it's a shift it's a huge shift you know just like the story that you were expressing you know um, about getting someone that you know to to switch over to natural farming you know it's it's i i think it's like more than just a sh- a, sh- uh, a shift of like oh well you know these costs are lower and you know this is more healthy and just like switch this and switch that it's like it's like a whole lifestyle you know because i mean i can just give you like one example but it's like it's just like with wca or water soluble calcium or something you know you you know once you learn that solution it's like then you just start collecting eggshells and then you gotta you know you know it's just like a whole lifestyle change where all these like little bits like start start changing and then you know you're looking at things a little bit differently um but yeah that that's awesome and um I think like the the crucial thing is like being able to maintain it, right? Like you could plant something up and then like revitalize it, but if it's not able, if that responsibility isn't able to be upkept, then it's just gonna kind of be taken over. Definitely, my vision is like a step at a time. I think I said this at the Hawaii Farmers Union that I wanted to like find one or two new sites. You know, not try and think about all of Hilo, but identify a couple sites that seem like good spots, good matches for the idea of the project. Make a plan for them and and do them. Um, I think mulching will be a big deal, you know, like mulching the understory versus what I think is the current situation around Hilo most of the time, which is Roundup, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm with you. Definitely got to like, it's got to be properly maintained and look good and so that that was one of the main factors of what happened to the project in the last iteration was when i when i started the project i had been kind of invited to help plant the triangle project and i lived in town i lived just kind of over little bit more near to the university right by sweet cane cafe uh stop in get a farmer's union five percent discount ahead of jackie um but 
I could ride my bike downtown really easily. And so the maintenance, like you said, you had this two acre farm, but you could do it all yourself. And I had this project in Hilo, but I could do it all myself because I was riding my bike down there all the time anyway to get, you know, farmer's markets right there. So I would check up on the plantings, do a little weeding, you know, touch things up that are out of place. And I was there every like day or every other day, you know, and it was just a short distance if I needed to bring tools or I could be down there in less than five minutes if friends wanted to meet up. And then I moved out of town and I didn't have a car because I read The Carbon Connection by Leon Ridzen, super awesome book. And I believe that all the carbon I was releasing was like killing the earth. But then I realized, so I, so I, di- I didn't have a car. So I, and I was, it became too much of an effort to ride my bicycle in to do the maintenance and to call my friends to be there. And uh, Sam Robinson really picked up the slack and, and really merged her project and my project together to form Let's Grow Hilo, which my project grew out of Occupy Hilo. And I, my idea was to occupy Hilo with Kahlo. And it was right during that whole Occupy New York, you know, uh, Wall Street thing. And so what my idea was to have the taro plant stand on the street, the Kahlo, and it waves. And so it stands there like protesting, waving its little sign all day. And then we, you know, as its younger brother of the Kahlo, can go and do other jobs and other things to provide for our older brother who's occupying our street. And that's why we planted all along downtown Hilo, all along Kamehameha Avenue. And it was mainly Kahlo when I first got, you know, the people excited. And the first time we got people so excited, we had about 50, 60 people down there with like, uh, you know, uh, Guy Fox masks on, the anonymous mask. And people just like pumped to, to take the streets back and to grow food and to like get our, off our dependency on foreign imports. And it was amazing in that first like spearhead moment of it. But then it came down to the maintenance. Like it was no longer like planting food against the man. It was like in the hot sun trying to keep the weeds back or get enough mulch or have trucks deliver it in the right place or keep it within the visibility for the vehicles going by or coordinating people and snacks and drinks and wagons and tools and people shoplifting. And it became more of a centralized effort than this distributed thing, which maintenance requires in a certain sense. So with all that experience, I feel like I'm in a better place to kind of help and guide and offer assistance through the farmers union and support a project because I've done it been there done that and I know maintenance is the big aspect of this and you can get a bunch of excitement to go plant but then who's gonna come back and pull the weeds so it has to be well thought out well planned small areas to start with where it doesn't seem overwhelming and that's what happened to me when I couldn't be down there every two days when I moved out of town and I was only visiting it every week once a week you know twice a week or once a month even, sometimes I'm a super hermit, don't even come into Hilo, live just on the farm because I grow my own food. But come down to Hilo and shit's crazy because I'm not there. And I see all these people walking by and rubbish everywhere. And I'm like, oh, 
uncle try or auntie try pick that up you know like but but it's but they don't but but when someone's out there picking it up when they see me out there picking up they're like oh brother we love you you know and then people stop by and they pick stuff up with me and it's like it takes the the person to like set the example and like make it so clean that you feel shame to throw rubbish like if the thing is pilau like this here like i don't mind throwing bags of rubbish right there right now like there's rubbish right here behind us what's a little bit more to add to this pile but if we make Hilo so shiny so pristine so amazing because just all, everybody you know but w- takes one person to kind of set the trend like Brada over there is picking up rubbish although I nice. think he's looking for food too but <laughs> <laughs> sorry Brada but if we grew food you know like so so that's the thing is set the example set the thing get the that's a classic guy he would spread mulch for 30 bucks you know what I mean if we could pay him a little bit of money he he would chip in you know what I mean like my vision for plugging them into the long-term vision of let's go Hilo. And and I think a community project and a community space like that's awesome. Cause Brada does look like he ha- maybe has slight mental issues, but with like cash and a clear objective and someone to like have compassion and hold, hold space and to work towards like common good. Brada will actually get more s- mental stability that, that he sees like, yes, teamwork is a really therapeutic thing. For sure, you know, I mean, the soil's here. The soil will, will grow plants for us and useful plants and beautiful plants and plants that are good for the insects and the birds and you know, uplift everyone's mind and, like, give us air to breathe and just give us a task to do for the day and a reason to talk to each other that we don't, even though we don't know each other, whatever. Like, all that will happen. Um, for sure. I mean, if you're farming without chemicals, you got to think about upkeep and maintenance and, you know, keeping the weeds down. And um, if you're inviting people to your place, you know, to a farm, yeah, you know, like you, you got to manage people that are involved with any project. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to learn from your experience of trying to do it, being super new here. Like, I'm just like trying to identify sites and meet the people involved that I need to sort of like check things through before i start anything up mulch is a big issue in hawaii like you gotta like have a source for mulch and like keep it up and you know you know yeah any connections you guys have on those fronts i'm definitely like uh needing to know more about that um yeah and mulch um and yeah two two things uh the first is that you talked about being able to like be a facilitator of like people's needs and like yeah a farmer in today's age needs to be this like person that is able to adapt and be resilient and pick up new skills and learn new things but then also recognizing that with any project or farming in general that you you know you can't do it yourself i mean you can you you can but like if you're able to incorporate teamwork and like team think and give people a reason to be activated and be motivated and, you know, willing to compensate them. Um, re- recognizing that aspect as a, as a farmer or any type of entrepreneur, really being able to manage people and the human resources, you know, super valuable thing. And then with the mulch, um, yeah, I mean, I, I right after this, I'm headed to go pick up some mulch at the the Hilo transfer station or, or organic facility. Um, that's definitely not sustainable at all. 
um, just because you know you're you're bringing a vehicle to go get it, you're bringing it back to wherever you're farming or growing, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's like uh, like what you need is what is around. So like if you're like okay, we're gonna do the 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 project right there, you know, it's like well, wh- what if you know what if there's no way to go pick up mulch? You know, I think we just gotta be able to create it and and find it like we're sitting in a underneath a banyan tree with lots of leaf litter which would be really nice i mean to bring this leaf litter over there might disturb this soil but to to invigorate another area but um i don't know at, at my place I, i'm i'm experiencing with uh fire tech um something they do in other countries where you basically just burn you burn the forest not like the entire forest but like to start clearing and creating more more space in a you know where invasive species have kind of overgrown um and yeah like vive and any type of plant once you get the fire going it will burn and i mean you make you make ash which i think is super crucial i think there's like deeper mysticism within the ash um but you, you get biochar too but I, I feel like outside of Hilo, there, you know, there's, there's tons of stuff. I mean, I, I know a farmer, Clive, that he grows, like, fields of cane grass and just chops the cane grass, and, like, that's his mulch. He's, like, constantly thinking about that. But I think just how we've spoken about food hubs, like, having, like, a, a resource center that's, like, kind of sustainable in order to kind of create mulch, or what if there was, like, like a plot that, like you know you're able to figure it out to grow something that you're able to kind of turn into a mulch that's like kind of quicker sounds good um i'm just getting used to the plants here and what they do and which one drop leaves a lot and stuff like that um a lot of disadvantages in the northeast but you know all the trees there drop their leaves every single fall so we have a pretty vast amount of mulch there which is kind of nice um when i was there this past summer i was definitely experimenting with the all the knf inputs uh on breaking down leaves and wood chips and turning it to soil in like two months really really easily so I suspect I can do the same here. So I'm definitely looking for sources of plant material. Yeah, yeah, the dump is not really the best source. I mean, it's, it's great. And like, it is a centralized thing that we're already doing. People are bringing yard waste from all over to the, that one facility. And then, you know, they're trying to, they used to mulch it. Now they're composting it or whatever they're doing. And the county's trying to do this. Um, but I, you know, when I look at this lot, we're, we're looking across this kind of parking lot at Wailoa Pond and there's a huge banyan tree and I, I wouldn't necessarily try to plant right there where the banyan tree is, but out in that field beyond it, that grassy field, um, and this whole thing could be, you know, taro lo'i and like a very productive system where, um, but what I, what I'm thankful for is like the disgustingly cheap microbe technology uh you know some some people call it jadam uh and it's you know um it's as old as agriculture itself uh, basically taking uh you know con- controlled putrefaction and like somewhat uh uh 
fermentation, you, you know, and, and I look, I look here and it's like, okay, well, what, what do I need to turn this lawn in front of me into intense fertility without going and getting a bunch of mulch, without going and getting a bunch of stuff? How, how can I do this in like a third world style? Like let's, you know, like imagine let's grow Hilo has no resources. And, but what we do have is probably people have sickles at home that they can bring. Probably people have uh, trash barrels. And probably we could figure out how to get water from the pond into the trash barrels. And we could take that weedy material and cut it all down. And we could put it into those barrels. And we could let it sit, you know, a week, two weeks, uh, depending. And we could also collect some of the really good microbial soil around. And mix it into one, a few of those barrels. Throw in a bunch of starch waste um, that we could probably get from the restaurants right around here. Um, and or like you know figure figure that one out and then dump that stuff there and if I, if a uh, set of committed people did that barrel tech drench tech for a month two months three months you know if you did it six months and you did it every couple days or once a week for that amount of time you there's no way you can't tell me that that area is not going to be just like booming with fertility that the natural weeds without even trying to start farming that area just by dr- dr- like harvesting the wild gr- grass on the edges and fer- and dumping it that in six months that area will be so fertile the weeds that are growing there you could just take taro or whatever and, and a banana and just put it on the ground and it's just gonna erupt because that entire area is thriving with microbes where a whole mycelial uh, section is connected and it's maybe you know after a couple months of drenching maybe it's an inch two inches three inches of of living soil that's been fermented that way and so in terms of a, a like a let's grow Hilo or like a garden establishment not even like when we did let's grow Hilo to start I didn't plant for the first month which is like a weird thing. And people think, oh, gardening project. Oh, cool. Well, we'll build raised beds and we'll put in soil and we'll plant today. Right? Like most people, like it's like build a garden in a day is like the American mindset or like the mindset of like, I'll till my field and I'll put my seeds and I'll do that. You know, like it's like A, B, C, I'll transplant. I'll do this. One week before or in one month before we just went down with IMOs. We just went down with soil drench. And we just did soil prep for like a month on the area because I knew I was like, shoot, we're going to do this. It better like it better bang, because if we plant in Hilo and all the stuff withers and dies or like doesn't, you know, KNF would be ruined. (laughs) Yeah, at least a month, I would say. I was considering taking on a farm project. I've decided not to for now, but I told the woman who wanted me to use her land. Um. I won't plant anything for six months. <laughs> I'm going to do six months of soil prep. I mean, this was on eight acres, and I was going to try and do it without much mechanization at all. So a lot of the reason it would take that long was just <clears throat> trying to do it by hand. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that is a huge component, I would say. And if you're drenching, you know, it's going to go deeper and deeper. And drenching versus tilling, I think, is absolutely one of the huge innovations of KNF and natural farming. 
it's the way to go for sure yeah the drench technology to help uh solidify that foundational microbial society in the soil um I think something that might be even been like what you're talking about is, is crucial, you know, like being in a, you know, saying like, Oh, well we're just going to create this imaginary scenario where we're in a third world country and we got to figure it out. Like with what we have, what's that? It's third world right here. It's third world right here. So, so imagining that and then applying, you know, what, what you need, what's around and utilizing those resources. But what if, you know, you think about all those people that are picking up mulch, they're bringing that mulch to like, you know, where, where they're farming. What if there's a way like within the system to like, cause I know they, they like heat it up or they do some things to cook it. But like, what, if, what if there was a way to like inoculate it? And then it's like, okay, you already have all these people willing to pick up the mulch. And then, and then it's, it's, it's like everywhere that that they would apply it, it would be inoculating and kind of restoring, restoring the earth. It's definitely not a long-term sustainable solution, but I think it might, you know, it, it could definitely spread biology pretty quickly all the way around. And I know that when I pick up mulch, I, I usually drench it for a f- like a few weeks before I even apply it because it's, it's, yeah, it's too hot. It's gnarly. It's really acidic. It needs to be realkalized and, um, Yeah. So, so you're using IMOs to like treat your mulch and like seawater drench and the maintenance solution to treat your your mulch be, before you would you just bring it home, put it in a pile, soak it down with these solutions, let it kind of do another fermentation before you're going to put it out to like clean itself up. Yeah, making sure I'm seeing like um, beneficial mi- uh, microorganisms, signs of life. Um, and, mu- and mushrooms and fungi to to know that you know what, what what's applying is, is doing much better what, what I have also noticed and observed is like sometimes when you create a garden or like you have a mulch pile right and then you're that then you're drenching it from that location and that's the same spot where you're always like drenching and you're always kind of applying new mulch and stuff like that to then kind of redistribute and stuff. What, what I've observed is that, that that spot becomes like a fungal hot spot where everything around it is like super lush and, and does really well. So I think, yeah, integrating that in Piletech and, and being able to like really kind of see the networks kind of connect full circle. Sounds like that would totally work. Um, I'm just using the municipal mulch or whatever we're calling it, the Hilo transfer station mulch for like some ornamental beds. But ornamental for me means these cool local sweet potatoes that I'm kind of growing as like an understory um, ground cover. They could be food, but for now I'm just growing them as an understory plant in like a landscape environment. Yeah. They look really cool. Like, uh, I've never eaten them, but they look awesome. Oh, that, it's it. That's like instant food, though, because hmm. you could eat, you can eat the leaves, and I'd I'd highly recommend it. It's super tasty. I like cooking with them when, and it's something that someone can grow relatively quickly to start having food right away. 
is you can harvest the sweet potato greens and then that encourages the thing to grow even more and like keep vining and, and, and keep growing. And yeah, you got to cook them, but I, I really like them. Nice. It's kind of looking good with the perennial peanut too. It just kind of happened by accident. I planted them next to each other and they're now kind of like growing together. And that seems like a pretty cool ground cover is the combination of perennial peanut and um, the kind of like five finger leafed sweet potato. I don't know the name of it, but I'm definitely learning the plants here. Um, it's a steep learning curve. I don't know really any of the flora here. I know soils and uh, tropical soils are a bit different than New England soils, but uh, there's a lot of similarities. Um, are we? Is this how the podcast usually goes? Is it usually kind of like? Well, I, I like it so far. We've been on Let's Grow Hilo, this kind of <laughs> topics. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, usually what we do is like the second hour go a bit deeper. Oh, okay. And kind of the first hour, like David and I kind of get to, you know, ask you questions and, you know, you can ask whatever. Um, so what what I wanted to get into right now is to ask you kind of like as someone who's relatively new to the scene, can, what can you tell me about the farming organizations you've encountered? Here in Hawaii? Sure. Yeah. Or anywhere. Let's see. What would they be? Um is Pure KNF a uh, farming organization? I guess so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like that would be something that I've been building up for a, wh- a while now. Uh, there's definitely really, really good educational opportunities to learn natural farming in Hawaii. Uh, the classes at the Pure KNF farm are um, absolutely worth taking um that is i think the best demonstration of natural farming i've seen so if you're considering going to those definitely i recommend them um do we talk about people by name on this podcast or what so cgnf hawaii cho global natural farming hawaii i don't know i'm new to the scene so let's just say that i don't know i i i I have friends in a lot of different organizations and they're all just my friends, and I'm not taking any particular stance on any particular group. But they do a great a, a great job of teaching the recipes for natural farming, for Korean natural farming. I, I prefer to just call it natural farming for reasons that maybe we'll go into. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so Master Cho said a bunch of the techniques came from Japan. So now we're just calling it Korean natural farming? I don't know. Maybe that's, that's, that's one question I'm willing to bring up as you know whenever it makes sense and this was one of those times um (laughs) so well i mean yeah you could just call it ancient farming sure call it all kinds of things i think maybe last year we might have been toying with the idea of kuleana natural farming which i think is a good one because it keeps the acronym knf and kuleana is a hawaiian word that kind of means responsibility but at the same time um reward for or or like the benefit of taking the responsibility right am i saying that right you guys are more you know been in hawaii longer than me but your kuleana is kind of your obligation and your responsibility but from it you also sort of get the reward of like having that role in society and it sort of like defines your place in the society and gives you a role and makes you a member of the community too so it's you know just the word obligation or just the word responsibility doesn't sort of 
express that reciprocal part of it. Um, so Kuleana Natural Farming, I kind of like, because you can still call it KNF, which is cool. <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Oh, keep You're me on talking the about different organizations that you've oh, yeah, connected yeah. with um, on in Hawaii specifically right. um, about natural farming. Right. The CGNF course is basically teaching the recipes, and they do a good job of that. There's not much actual farming going on in that course, but you do learn the recipes um, in, a, in a way that I think is very good. Um, Hawaii Farmers Union, I just am recently having connection with. Um, seems really cool. I didn't realize um, how connected with KNF they are. That's inspiring. It seems like it's sort of becoming um, a big part of the new paradigm, um, you know. Almost like the standard. Pretty much, yeah. And my personal opinion has been that KNF is the leading edge, best organic farming technique and can enhance every other system that exists and anything you're doing. It'll enhance your permaculture or whatever you call yourself. It'll enhance your organic. It'll enhance anything you do. And so I thought that was really, really cool and inspiring to see that that's basically the standard, like you said. So um, I think those are the main groups that I've gotten in touch with. Um, isn't there a training program called something like um, Let's Farm Hawaii? I keep, forgetting, I keep forgetting the name for it, but they have a training program, and it seems like it's been kind of waylaid for a year while they relocate. But I filled out their application process, and I'm waiting to hear back, but I don't really have a good sense for how long that's going to take because I know that they're establishing a new location and a new farm. And um, so, yeah, I don't have a good sense for any more. Those are the three farming organizations that I have connection to here. Um, I want to show you guys later this storefront that's available that I think could be a good central point for KNF operations, possibly have um, recipes available for sale or trade or use there. and A, a little hub, a to, hub to get solutions. You know, you know this is kind of interesting. On Craigslist... Just a day or two ago, I uh, was searching, and guess what item I found on Craigslist? OHN. OHN. OHN, yeah. I'm just six, guessing. Six gallons of OHN for $250. Pretty good deal. I'd say it's a pretty good deal. When you, How much does it cost for six gallons of, I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't know. It's probably like marked up 50%, but... And and it said the area that they were selling in was was in your area, Drake. Yeah, yeah, I know who that is. It's a good batch. Um, it, you know, in the market market price of it, there's a there's a company in Israel selling uh, OHN or or whatever. Like, I it, you know um, their version of it because I I don't know I don't know they I think they just got a um, YouTube PhD to like figure out if I, I i don't know their lineage so they, they've never published that but um but they're selling it for two thousand dollars a gallon what yeah but what they do is they sell it in smaller batches like even even chris is selling his for oh. like 250 dollars to almost 300 dollars a gallon but they break it up into like you know four ounce 
Right, right, right. It's broken into 32-ounce or, like, 4-ounce bottles or whatever. So you don't realize you're paying, like, $2,000 a gallon. Because if you think about that, how much is a gallon of vodka or, like, even even top-shelf vodka, like, $30, $40, you know? I mean, if if you were using, like, Grey Goose, I I don't know what the top-shelf vodka is, but, like, Patron Reserve, I don't even know. (laughs) But, like... Yeah, yeah, you 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 know it might be that price, but think think two thousand dollars a gallon. So, uh, you know, word word to the the wise that this batch is legit. Go pick it up and then start breaking it into smaller batches because the market price is what dictates it. Like, I used to be kind of like upset at people that would sell it for so much, but if the market will bear it and you got a quality product why not sell it at that and make it really useful and, and help people out? And it's a bottleneck getting solutions right now. And, um, you know, and if like, I, I, I'll attest to certain people make legit stuff, you know, this, this lady made legit stuff. She learned and she just, um, (laughs) she didn't realize it would make six gallons when she started. And then she realized mostly she uses it just for herself. She's like, oh, I don't, you know, why did you spray this on my plants? It was hard to make, and I just love it when any, you know, like, take a little bit and maintain her human health. And so that's that's primarily what she, so she's six gallons. She's like, oh, I won't, I'm pretty old. I won't drink that before I die. <laughs> yeah, the monetary cost of making it is one thing for sure, but the, having the, the place and the time and the schedule to be able to do it well is sort of hard to come by in this society you know a lot of people if you work or you're here and there all the time and you know like we were talking about earlier knf being a lifestyle you know sometimes you're just not in a position to be in the lifestyle and you don't have the time and space and resources or whatever to make your own yeah finding the 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 right time and space to to make it i honestly think you can make it anywhere you know like, if I was here and this is where I lived underneath this banyan tree, like, you know, probably would, like, s- dig a hole and, like, store it in the ground and then, like, come back to it and, like, just mix everything under this tree. And then just every day walk to the tree, mix it, you know, do your extractions every two weeks, and there you go. And, um, yeah, I think there's, like, I, I think there's, like, limitless potential with it, too. Like, I think I think it, it could go so deep with the herbs and what yeah like i don't need like the ohn that i spray isn't traditional ohn by any means i now include uh ayahuasca in every batch so and it it just has this like it's i don't know it's super medicinal it's not it's just from the vine and it when when i drink it i just feel like it I don't know. It's some sort of, it's, it's like some sort of high or something, but it's like a different, it's like a calm, clear, like clear state of being. And it's, I don't know. I think if I like it, the plants like it. And then when I mix it in, the ayahuasca makes the OHN like have this like translucent layer of like this, like green blue, like layer of something, which I, I don't know. I think, I think it might be from, some of the particulates or the within the vine but i mean like who's to say you couldn't ferment these dry out some of these banyan roots you know crush those up and ferment them and tincture them and you know or the bark or whatever you know there's yeah 
I'd say you have more experience than me, and I'm going to do the traditional for a while more, I think, just to get a baseline of understanding from from that. And then when I branch out into new stuff, I can sort of compare it to the baseline, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, starting off with the, with the recipe and then experimenting on your own. But th- the way I see it is, like, if you're putting in the time or energy to make, you know, with six herbs, you know what how much you know it's not that much more energy to make another one or a different one or experiment with another one and then just have a tincture you know another fermented tincture of another herb and whether you decide to like utilize that or create a different batch or whatever you know even if even if all you had was like one fermented tinctured herb that you were adding within your solution because that's all you had i still feel like it would be better than than nothing Well, so, so that's, that's why I try to teach people a, ge- a generalized recipe to understand what we're doing in natural farming is we're fermenting something and then we're tincturing it. And that's different than most other, like people, tinctures are as old as old is, but fermentation and then tincturing is somewhat novel to natural farming. When I talk to other naturopaths, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Like open up the cells on the cellular level and then tincture it. Um, but so so what I encourage folks to do and everyone to do is to use this general principle of understanding that, you know, it's a it's a KNF medicine, like you're fermenting and then tincturing. But I don't want to necessarily confuse people on what OHN is, that it's like, you know, five herbs and two parts Angelica and one part the rest, you know. And that that should stay as it is, because if we start calling like David's thing with ayahuasca OHN, then it becomes this thing that we don't really know exactly what it is. But but calling yours like a, a, a medicine and then these are the, the herbs that I blended, because what this enables people to do is to go into your native area and to be like, OK, what did people in my region use for reproduction? Like what herbs did they give women when they're about to give birth? And then I'll take those and ferment and tincture those. And now I got some like, you know, instead of OHN Oriental, maybe now you got, you know, Native American or Native Massachusetts or Native Hawaiian or, you know, or herbal nutrient. And the concept being there and then recognizing those five, for some reason, in the way he and Master Cho formulated OHN specifically, it bangs for plants whatever like you know the in in the the cosmology and the reason for his selection and why you know there's plenty of great herbs out there why wasn't he like oh yeah and then just throw in whatever you want you know he was like no it's these and these ratio you know there there's specific reason for it so so like recognizing it leaving it as a tool but then not also binding ourselves to say like we can't throw in the ayahuasca in our in our region because that's our vision to, to put that in there so so that's what, that's what I try to teach people is like okay like look here's a concept here's a way to make this understand it and use it in your region adapt it and then know what the original is so we don't adulterate that and pass that along too and be like yo here's like a specific blend and then maybe here's like Adam Dole's blend you know it's A-D-O-H-N you know and it's like if you, you find like the most potent com combination like 
that you use it and it's like man all your pathogens go in every you know and you come up with this blend that's then you know that's do, do you follow more on that concept of that that ideology yeah absolutely that's i guess what i was trying to say by have like a yeah use what i learned at your class as like a baseline for a while since um since i'm quite new to you know not new to farming i mean 23 years of farming but you know two years of knf <laughs> so um so yeah no yeah i'm excited to to see what the baseline recipe does and then if i get some intuition that i should try something different i absolutely will feel free to do that and call it something different i guess or yeah i definitely agree starting with the baseline teaching people the original recipe and then being able to experiment from there the the reason why i said six herbs is because of turmeric but that was like a early like a thing i threw in there that then became like part of the literature that got passed around as if it's like part of the original dogma and then it's just things like that where i in the beginning when i was a novice i thought oh i can improve this oh i can put this in oh this will be better and there's reasons for it but then it all of a sudden becomes like that's the the, I you know I I'm propagating maybe an error in a certain sense, so I just want to clarify that. Pretty cool. We got any? What's the next topic? Oh well, we so so time? we're basically we're we're just entering the second hour here. Oh, so man. so now we're we're just about to leave and say goodbye to the free folks here. So, uh, oh, adios. Bye. Uh, come to Hilo. And if you want to catch the full. Uh, show microbialsecret.org and sign up, be a member, um, and you get all the episodes unlocked for you. So check it out. And uh, but let's uh, let's welcome to the second hour. Yeah, well, welcome to the second hour. Um, before I guess, yeah, keep keep tuning in. Go to www.microbialsecret.org to join and get full access to more. Um, Drake's been putting a lot of energy to make the user interface experience for you all um, to be more enjoyable and easier to access. So yeah, and feel free to reach out if you have any questions or topics or any sort of matters that you want to uh, dive deeper in. And if you want to be a part of the show, um, feel free to uh, reach out as well. Sounds good. Do we take a break and then? Do, do you want to take a break? It's up to you. Your show. I'm good to go. Right if, on. If you, yeah. No, no, I don't get need up a break. and stretch. No, no, we're good. Okay. Well, your cord's big enough; you can stretch too. Well, that's it for our free episode. So join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode and join the Microbial Secret Society. So uh, may the beneficial microbes be with you. Aloha.